The Washington Post ran an article on April 16th called Why Far-Right Nationalists Like Steve Bannon Have Embraced the Russian Ideologue. The Russian ideologue they're referring to is Alexander Dugin. And the main claim of the article is that Bannon, Dugin, and other far-right thinkers are using a mythologized version of the Middle Ages to stoke white nationalism, whip up Islamophobia, and promote other hateful far-right goals. A few people asked me to comment on the article because of my work on Dugin. Um, And so I wanted to take the chance to do that now. As I see it, it's worth paying attention to how the author of the article mischaracterizes Dugin's views in the course of making his argument. The errors don't depend on the author's knowledge of the Middle Ages, because as I understand, the sociological analysis of the Middle Ages is something that this uh, professor is more or less competent in. Um, But rather, the errors are due to his lack of knowledge about Dugin and his hatred, it seems, for the political right. Now, hatred for the right is not uncommon, nor is its distorting effect on analysis of authors and ideas that lie on the right. Um, But if this was just another journalistic hit piece against the right, for example, there are many of them, some of which I've addressed in other videos, it might not be such a big deal and it might not merit a detailed response. It could just go by under the radar um, and that would be that. But I noticed that a former chief of Russian operations at the CIA retweeted the article, recommending it as a good short introduction to Dugin's thought. So I thought that was kind of strange because I could tell upon reading it for the first time that um, it was had many errors, was misleading, and was a, ba- a bad introduction to Dugin's thought. Um, so to see a former chief of Russian operations at the CIA endorsing it just made me think that some smart and influential people may be led astray by the inaccurate, easily refutable, ideologically motivated reporting, um, or are just misinformed about basic facts. So, in my opinion, it's worth examining some of the errors about Dugan in the article, not primarily to exonerate him from criticism, but to set a higher standard for the analysis of obscure, admittedly, yet politically relevant matters. So that our journalists, intelligence agencies, academics, and other circles don't become accustomed to taking cheap ideological distortions as the final word on these things. Let's go through some of the problematic passages. The article refers to Dugan as a modern fascist. But in fact, Dugan is an opponent of fascism. As he has said repeatedly since at least 1995, the date of the earliest entry on his 4pt.su website, a hub for essays and articles on the fourth political theory. Um, In that first entry on that website, an interviewer asks him whether he's a fascist, and he explains precisely in what way and for what reason he is not one, arguments that he elaborated over the course of the next 20 years. Um, His opposition to fascism is implied by his notion of a fourth political theory, a cornerstone of his outlook. One of the most fundamental ideas of the fourth political theory is that it should be possible to reject liberalism and communism without it automatically being assumed that you must, by default, support fascism, which he calls the third political theory, liberalism and communism being the first and second political theories. So it's actually elementary for Dugin, absolutely elementary for Dugin, 
that not all non-leftist anti-liberalism is fascism, as would be implied if there were only three political theories. The fourth political theory rejects all three of liberalism, communism, and fascism, repeatedly, expressly, consistently, and coherently. The main reason Dugan rejects liberalism, communism, and fascism is the philosophical reason that they all reflect or are based on a modern philosophy of subjectivity, which Dugan repudiates following both traditionalism and, in my view, even more importantly, a Heideggerian philosophy. So not only does Dugan reject fascism, he rejects it precisely because it's modern, just like liberalism and communism. It's strange, therefore, to characterize him as a modern fascist without further ado. To be fair, the author does eventually mention Dugin's disdain for modernity, but he claims that Dugin's ideas are modern to the core because they're rooted in 18th and 19th century constructions of nationalism. I don't think that claim bears scrutiny, even if we limit ourselves only to the materials that the article itself cites in support of that claim. So the first thing, pretty much the first characterization of him you see in this is that he's a modern fascist. But as I say, as someone who is anti-modern and anti-fascist, that claim is a little bit misleading. The article also claims that Dugan's ideology of Eurasianism is, quote, grounded in a fundamentalist religious nationalism that seeks to create a Christian empire that unites Europe and Asia in a quest to restore a traditionalism rooted in conservative Orthodox Christian values and white supremacy. Well, there's a lot in that nearly paragraph-long sentence, um, much of which is not correct. In fact, Dugan's religious views are certainly not fundamentalist in any straightforward way, I would say. His attitude towards Christianity, Islam, and Judaism is informed by his interest in Neoplatonism, Gnosticism, Hermeticism, Sufism, Kabbalah, the occult, and other expressions of the Dark Logos, as he calls it in his book, In Search of the Dark Logos, um, or the Apollonian and Dionysian Logos, Logoi, as he puts it in his Noomachia series of books. Fundamentalism implies a less nuanced attitude to religious texts, it seems to me, often a crude literalism. But that doesn't describe Dugan well at all, and it confuses more than it clarifies. So much for the fundamentalism, religious fundamentalism. Um, nor is Dugan a nationalist. Russian nationalists criticize Eurasianism, Dugan's uh, ideology, as an imperial supranationalistic ideology. And Dugan criticizes nationalism as a modern construct. Unlike the nation, the people, the narod or folk, does feature prominently in Dugan's theory, to be sure. But how it does so is a complex matter. There are ethno-sociological and existential dimensions to Dugan's populism, as I've argued elsewhere. But it's definitely not helpful to refer to his position as fundamentalist religious nationalism when he's neither fundamentalist in any obvious way, nor a nationalist, um, unless we're only concerned to draw a contrast with basic liberal democratic norms and don't actually care about the details. Well, that happens all too often. And one of the main arguments that I'm trying to make here is that the details matter. As for the idea that Dugan's vision is rooted in white supremacy, the fact is that many white supremacists don't like Dugan and accuse him of being a Jew-sympathizing Bolshevik, 
a war against the white race, as you can confirm for yourselves by doing some Twitter research on that topic. More importantly, Dugan himself examines and rejects racial theories of society in his 800-page book called Ethnosociology, which I translated, and part of which is already available in English under the title Ethnos and Society. Dugan's lectured on that book in a series of videos in English on YouTube. So primary source materials um, are at hand to see what he actually has said about racism in his books that cover the topic of race. Um, but of course, none of that matters to those whose main goal is to wield like a bat the faulty conceptual logic that everything which is neither liberal nor on the left must be one evil thing where right equals racist, equals nationalist, equals fundamentalist, equals anti-Semite, equals and so on and so on and so on. Um, and you know, bad logic is fine for hack pamphleteers, but it shouldn't be welcome among serious journalists, intelligence agents, academics, uh, or others with a stake in conceptual clarity. After briefly considering and criticizing Dugan's support for medieval Christian religiosity, the author writes as follows. Now, listen. In sum, he writes, Dugan believes that the alternative to the notion of liberalism is, in quotes, returning to the Middle Ages. So that's what the author writes. Dugan believes the alternative to the notion of liberalism is, quote, returning to the Middle Ages. Now, in the, in the Washington Post article itself, the words alternative to the notion of liberalism to all the way to the end of the sentence are hyperlinked. And if you click on them, you get presumably the source for the source citation for the view that that's what Dugan thinks. So if you follow that up, what you'll find is a page on which there's an interview between Dugan and someone from a website, katahan.com, as well on the same page as excerpts from his book, The Fourth Political Theory. But does that page support the claim that Dugan believes the alternative to liberalism is a return to the Middle Ages? As you can probably guess, no, it does not. Um, and indeed, it refutes some of the author's other claims as well. The Middle Ages are mentioned on that page in the interview in the following context. Dugan tells the interviewer that the fourth political theory needs to, quote, deconstruct all of modernity by rejecting the laws of modernity, such as progress, development, equality, justice, freedom, nationalism, and all this legacy of three centuries of philosophy and political history. Um, then there will be a chance, he writes, to escape this coded field of coded thinking that we know as modern liberalism. So one of the first simplest movements in the direction of the fourth political theory, he continues, is the global rehabilitation of tradition, the sacred, the religious, the caste-related, caste-related, or if you prefer, the hierarchical. So that's the first and simplest move in anti-modernity, rehabilitating pre-modernity or traditionalism. This is what he says to the interviewer. The interviewer then speculates that the approach, quote, could be the basis of a new, new time. Now, for those of you who don't speak Russian, new time or nove vreme is the Russian phrase for modernity. What we call modernity, they call nove vreme. So the interviewer is saying, Alexander Dugan, what you've described sounds like it could be the basis for a new, new time, a new conception of time, a new attitude or approach to time, a new era or epoch or categorization. And in that context, Dugan says exactly. This is what Berdyaev, the Russian religious philosopher, spoke of 
the return to the Middle Ages. Returning to the Middle Ages, Dugan is saying, these are his words, or turning to them to look for inspiration. I am not speaking of merely reproducing. That's impossible to do. We've exhausted the potentials of modernity, according to Dugan, including liberal, communist, and fascist potentials, so we must look elsewhere if we're dissatisfied with the status quo. So his point is, to the interviewer, yes, it's something like a search for a new time, kind of like Berdayev wrote about in his book on a new Middle Ages. Yet we're not limited to looking back. Dugan says the following, With contemporary postmodern philosophy, we're arriving at how we can overcome these three political theories, not by appealing to tradition and religion, not by going backwards, but by going forwards. End quote. That already means that Dugan doesn't limit the possibilities of a response to liberalism in the notion of a return to the Middle Ages, like the article suggests. A return which, in any event, is not a reproduction. As we saw, we can't even understand what he might have meant by a return to the Middle Ages in this context without knowing what the Russian religious philosopher Berdyaev meant by that phrase in his book. Another point, okay, on the same page where the interview is, in which Dugan mentions the Middle Ages, there's also an excerpt from the fourth political theory. And as that excerpt makes clear, not the Middle Ages, but the philosophy of Martin Heidegger provides the deepest foundation for the fourth political theory. Dugan's theory is ultimately oriented toward the Russian Aragnus, or event, which has nothing to do with white nationalism or the Middle Ages as understood by academic historians and English teachers like the author of the article. In other words, there's an abundance of evidence on the site itself that the article links to, that the claims the article making, is making, are not accurate. So as I have written here, the strange thing is that the site on which you can read about the importance of Heidegger for the fourth political theory is precisely the site the author uses as the link to support his claim that for Dugan, the alternative to liberalism is a return to the Middle Ages, showing that the author didn't actually read his own source material carefully enough. And you have to notice this too. He puts The article puts its claim about Dugan thinking that the alternative to liberalism is a return to the Middle Ages in quotation marks leaving the reader with the impression that he's citing Dugan, that those are Dugan's words. But in fact, Dugan is referring to Berdyaev, another author, while helping to clarify the interviewer's question. So do you see the difficulties? There's a lot of sleight of hand and there's a lot of what amounts to um, inaccurate information and easily refutable on the basis of the primary sources themselves, the very ones that are linked to the reading. So as I see it, the gap between the initial impression that we get from the article and the underlying reality that we see from following the links and reading the primary sources, that gap is where we have to learn to make the transition from lazy ideological hit pieces to serious analysis worthy of thoughtful citizens. Again, I point out that those, I, I point out those errors not primarily to exonerate Dugan, to say he's above all criticism. But what I'm worried about is sloppy ideological mischaracterizations being taken as truth by intellectuals, intelligence agencies, and others whose business it is to know better. It's easy for liberals to fall into the trap of lumping all criticism of liberalism together as evil, racist, fascism, but the conceptual distinctions matter. Incidentally, I do also think that right and left-wing anti-liberals 
can often distort liberalism for their own ideological reasons. The knife cuts in all directions. But how can we get to know what the true alternatives are if we only ever see them in distorted form? We've got to learn to access the primary thoughts and ideas of philosophical and political thinkers for ourselves. And I'm trying to demonstrate one way of doing that by showing you, if you follow the links, the whole argument, in a sense, undoes itself. I said earlier that the Middle Ages comes up in the interview with Dugan that the Washington Post article cites through a reference to a book by the Russian religious philosopher uh, Nikolai Berdyaev. I had never read the book before reading this interview, but I wanted a better sense of what the New Middle Ages might mean to him originally. So I bought it and I've read not the whole thing yet, but the first two sections, half the book, including the section on the New Middle Ages. And I think it would be helpful to read a few passages from that to further substantiate my claim about the article uh, and that the article and the mentality behind it missed the mark on a topic of some importance. So Berdyaev on the New Middle Ages, what does he say? First, he talks about them as something that will replace the era that he calls the era of the Renaissance, which he says prevailed in, in his account, it prevailed until the outbreak of the First World War. And it includes fidelity to humanism, liberalism, democracy, rationalism, nationalism, imperialism, industrialism, capitalism, and other modern ideals and tendencies. So that whole world, he says, calls the Renaissance world, it's come to an end with World War I. He's writing in the mid-20s, it's come to an end. And despite genuine gains in the realm of the human spirit, made. So he mentions some outstanding artists and poets. And he acknowledges and cherishes those gains, but nevertheless he argues that the idea of total human self-reliance has come to a dead end. He saw the Russian Revolution and its aftermath as a return of spirituality to life, only in this case as inverted and satanic. He predicted a return of godly spirituality to our lives also, and that's part of what he means by the New Middle Ages. So if you remember, the article talked about a return to the New Middle Ages. Um, sorry, a return to the Middle Ages. But Berdyaev actually explicitly denies the possibility of something like a return. So here's what he says about that. There has never been, and there will never be, any return to past times. The restoration is impossible. When we speak of passing from modern history to the Middle Ages, it's a figure of speech. Such passage can only take place to a new Middle Ages, not the old one. That's why such an event should be considered as a revolution of the spirit, an anticipated creative activity, and not at all as the reaction that it seems to the progressives, quote-unquote, who are frightened because their own cause is so deteriorated. So you see, the idea of return is rejected outright. And Berdyaev is already saying that progressive attacks on the idea of a new Middle Ages are just the result of a panicking liberal progressive class afraid um, that their own cause is lost. Is that so different from the attack on Dugan and Bannon and others on the right today? Berdyaev continues, There's no need to idealize the Middle Ages as the Romantics did. We know their negativity, we sorry, we know their negative and truly dark aspects quite well. Brutality, roughness, cruelty, violence, serfdom, ignorance of nature, fear in religion bound up with the horror of hell, fire. He doesn't idealize or romanticize the Middle Ages. He doesn't ignore their faults and failures. 
But we also know, he writes, that the medieval times were truly and eminently religious, that they were carried along by a longing for the vision of God, which brought the people to the verge of a holy madness. We know that their whole culture was directed toward that which is transcendent and beyond, that they owed their scholasticism and mysticism, to which they looked for the resolution of the supreme problems of being, to a high tension of the spirit, to which modern history has no equivalent. The primary meaning of a return to a new Middle Ages for Berdaev is really a return to a better religious type, as he puts it, and as he analyzes it in the next, in the following pages. Knowledge, morality, art, the state, economics, all these must become religious, he says, not by external constraint, but freely and from within, combining, in a way, the discovery of the free human spirit of the Renaissance with the religiosity of the medieval era. Um, no theology, he says, can regulate the process of my knowledge from outside and impose a norm. Knowledge is free, but I cannot any longer realize the ends of knowledge without adverting to religion and understanding a religious initiation into the mysteries of being. And that I'm already a man of the Middle Ages and no more a man of modern history, he writes. And so on in that vein. Now, there's certainly nothing racist, xenophobic or misogynist and what I've read of Berdaev on the Middle Ages, the source of the idea that Dugan supports the New Middle Ages, or in what I've read of Dugan on that issue, or what's available, as I say, in the source material linked to in the article. And yet the article says that Dugan's middle class, sorry, Middle Ages ideology is part of a general racist, xenophobic and misogynist narrative that upholds a modern agenda of hate. Let's grant two things for the sake of argument. First, that the real Middle Ages might not correspond exactly to the ideas of religiosity that these authors associate with them. And second, that there may be racist, xenophobic, misogynist people who use the Middle Ages to support their opinions. Still, the point is that if you start dragging in everybody on the right you start dragging in all of the thinkers and all of the figures, Dugan and Bannon and others, and making claims about them that don't bear critical scrutiny, even on the basis of your own primary sources. And if other journalists, academics, intellectuals, government officials, intelligence agencies, and other circles go along with that, we risk making big mistakes with huge consequences in the domains both of policy and philosophy, in understanding our enemies, and in understanding ourselves. You've been watching Millerman Talks. I hope you enjoyed the video. If you liked it, please press like, share the video, subscribe to the channel so you don't miss future videos. Feel free to leave a comment below. Let me know what you think of this analysis of the Washington Post article, what I got right, what I may have gotten wrong. I'd love to know what you think. Thanks again for watching. See you next time.